0: Hi, everyone. This is Gracie with Self Care with Gracie. And um, I'm back with another great guest. I I was, um, the whole month of June, I was doing the Liberate Your Love series, which is all about setting boundaries and understanding anger and kind of really getting to that place of like real love in ourselves. And so you got to hear me speak a lot, and so I'm, I've just been super excited to bring on some guests so you all can listen to some other brilliant people speak. So this week, I'm, I'm so excited. I have uh, Lisa Kays with us, and Lisa is um, someone who's really, really special in this past six months of my life because she is my improv teacher. And First of all, hi, Lisa. Hi. Hi. Thanks for being here. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Okay, so you, I'm just going to introduce you to, hold on, and she sent me this really short and sweet little bio. So Lisa holds an MSW, Masters of Social Work from Catholic University, right in my backyard, and she's been practicing psychotherapy with individuals, couples, and groups since 2013. She has also studied and performed as an improviser for more than 10 years, and has been on the faculty of Washington Improv Theater since 2008. So uh, what I find to be most interesting about Lisa is, one, that she's just a really brilliant improv teacher. She is, is, I, I was so scared to go into improv. It was, like, totally on the top fears of my life. And I had a friend who said, well, there's this, this woman, Lisa, and she hosts a, a class that's Improv for Helpers. So it's for therapists and social workers and um, me as a coach, I was like, oh, that that sounds like the only way that I would start to even tiptoe towards (laughs) this year because I could kind of have my, like, coach hat on as I was doing it. And so I, I walked in and just right away the way you opened up the class was to start to tell your story about how improv began to change your life when you started taking improv and embracing the philosophy in all parts of your life. So you've been working with that, and it's led you into your social work. It's um, led you into some cool pockets of your personal life, um, such as becoming a mother. And yeah. it's, it's starting to define this whole intersection, which um, is growing momentum uh, it, within the class. I think we had like three different news crews come through to, to feature <laughs> improv for helpers it, to the to the broader public and and every person who hears about it is like that makes so much sense. So I'm I'm really excited to have you here and also to dive a little bit deeper into a conversation around like why is improv so important in our lives this philosophy of of showing up and how it can be used to help other people around us and then also how it can be used as a form of just self-care for us to be embracing this philosophy. So to start, could you t- tell us a little bit more about what got you interested in doing improv and and where the, the road of improv has taken you?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, and thank you, by the way, for that introduction. That was, I don't believe, I, it's hard for me to believe that you were that scared coming in. Um, so that's just funny Terrified. to look back on. Um, but thank you. That was an awesome introduction to this. Um, so I found improv largely by accident. I wasn't looking for it. Um, and I was actually going through a really difficult life transition um, at the time. And I, a friend of mine invited me to a happy hour, and I was on a roof somewhere talking to a friend of hers who at that time was, I don't, can't remember what his position was, but he was one of the founding people involved in wit and one of the primary leaders of Washington Improv Theater. And I had always been told, oh, you're funny, and you should try to do, like, stand-up or do comedy. Um, but any foray I had made into theater had been an absolute disaster. Um, I had no good instincts for it. But as I was talking to Topher Bellavia, you know, he, kept, he was really good at recruiting people into improv. Um, and I remember saying to him, like, do you swear to me that I will not be the worst person in the class? Um, And he said, I swear, I promise you will not be the worst person in the class, which of course, I love to tell that story because it's a trick, because improv is not really hierarchical or competitive. So like, I mean, there was no like way that I was either going to be the worst or the best in the class, particularly not in level one. Um, But I talked to him and it sounded intriguing. And I think it still took me a year to sign up for the class. When I signed up, I had no idea actually what it was. I had I hadn't even like Googled long form improv. I, I didn't know if I was going to be doing stand up. Like I literally went into this class with no clue what it was going to be. So I mean, if you want to talk about improv, I was just like, I don't know. Um, but I knew at that point <laughs> you you improv
0: your your improv. I
1: improv. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what these people are going to ask me to do, but okay. Um, so like no preconceived notions, no kind of plans. Um, I just knew that somehow it was going to be funny or that I was going to be asked to be funny, which turned out to not be true. Um, and I basically at that point in my life, I kind of just wanted to meet new people and I wanted, I'd always been doing something that had been sort of challenging. So for like the previous kind of probably five years, I'd been running marathons, half marathons, and I'd sort of been like, okay, I can do that. That's not hard. And I wanted the new thing that was going to just be interesting and challenging. And, um, and so I went into my first improv class, and that's kind of how it happened. And I was absolutely shocked that it was basically a bunch of games um, that I kind of equiv- like equivocate with the difficulty level of Duck, Duck, Goose. And I was like, really? This is what we're doing? This is so fun. Um, so I fell in love with it. So that was that was the beginning.
0: Wow. Okay. So that was the beginning. So uh, I <laughs> I love um, I'm thinking about the the seven part story you taught us where it's like yes. So this happened and this happened and then one day. Yeah. So, and then one day. So and then one day, what happened after that?
1: Uh. So in turn, you mean in terms of the social work piece,
0: or just in yeah, general? Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, um, um yeah, where did it? So the, the the philosophy of improv is really like yes and that it's like when yes. you're when you're up. This is this is what I've learned from you. So tell me if I have this right. That when you're up yes. there and somebody oh. is like, we're because you have no props. You're just up there on the stage with another person, and someone's like, we're in a movie theater right now. And yeah. and so if you you have a choice that you can be like, no, we're not. We're at the farm. And then all of a sudden the, the, there's like a weird sticky point where we're like, where are we? Or you can be like, yes, we're at a movie theater and there is a cow next to me, which makes it funny because it's like all yeah. you're doing is saying yes and adding something else onto there. So um, how how is this philosophy of yes and that you learned in improv, like how did, where did that take you next?
1: So I think that what happened was, and that was very good. You're a very good student. Um, so, <laughs> but I, I think that it was not just. So the yes and was important, and I did notice that I kept saying yes just in general to more things. Like it kind of seeped in, and instead of my sort of, you know, I think we all, especially in this area, you know, everybody's type A and like working really hard, and we tend to have a very protective no reflex of just like, you know, no. Um, and I started kind of saying like "Well why not like instead of i didn't totally go to no go to yes, but i in my life, I started thinking like, "Well, why not that like why not And as I thought about it more and more um, the i'd always based, i think I'd always wanted to be a psychotherapist um, or a social worker i didn't when I was young know really what social workers were um, and so as I kept you know I was miserable in my desk job I'd been doing desk jobs. Um, for most of my adult life since I came back from the Peace Corps. And it just kind of kept sitting there like, well, if you don't do this now, like when are you going to do this and why not? I mean, there, I just couldn't answer the question anymore. And I think that improv started to also give me the courage to think that like I could kind of jump without a net. I mean it was going to be a huge financial risk to give up you know, the career that I had at that point, go back to school, pay tuition. I was a single woman. I didn't have any like, kind of you know, financial support or anything like that. Um, and, but I think somehow improv just made me brave and it kind of made me say like I want my life to feel fun again. I want it to feel good again. Um, and so in that way I think it kept propelling me forward. And I think the other piece, too, is that I, after my first, my level one class, um, Pete Bergen, who was my TA, who's still one of my favorite people in the community, he said to me, he was like, so are you going to take level two? And I was like, oh, no. And he said, well, why not? And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not that good at this. And he was like, okay, but are you having fun? And I said, oh, yeah, it's a blast. I love this. This is like the most fun I've had in I don't know how long. This is amazing. And he was like, so are you going to take level two again? You know, are you going to take level two? And I just remember it was like the first time that it occurred to me, like you can just do things because they're fun you don't ha- or because you want to. You don't have to do things always that make financial sense. You don't have to do things because it's, you know, what everyone expects from you or because you're good at it. I was very good at my old job. Um, and, you know, it's a career that I had mapped out, I was very, you know, people really liked the stuff that I did. But it was kind of just, and I knew that going back to school, like that was going to be a learning curve. I might not be good at it. I had to start at the beginning. And I think there is something extremely liberating about that notion, which I still have to challenge myself with, of like, I can take up space in this room and do this thing for no other reason than that I enjoy it. There's no value put on it of like good or bad. Um, And that was huge for me, I think, at that time. So I think all of those things kind of coalesced. And I think it was two or or three years into my improv life that I went back to school is, I think, how long it took for all that to kind of push my psyche into a different place.
0: Yes, yes. Well, what I hear happen in there is, I just listened to, I love Invisibilia, it's another podcast, but they just had a whole episode on getting a new frame of reference and what that can do for you. So it sounds like you've got a new frame of reference in there. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it. And it sounds like uh, courage and play sound to be important aspects. And I think play, because one, improv is still a lot like play, I agree with that, but also one of the definitions of play is that there's no there 's no real outcome that has to come from it it 's like you just have to enjoy something as you 're doing it yeah. um, and it's really hard it's re- I have to say that play I teach this in my um, habit changing circles Is one of the whole weeks is on creativity and play and I would say that it's i think it 's the most important week, and for me it 's the hardest one to implement because is, is it the puritanical thing or i don 't know what it is, but like it does feel like when i 'm playing like decadent but also like I'm doing something wrong sometimes too yeah
1: well and it's the whole I mean Julia Cameron's the artist way I feel like you know we all of those sensors and messages that we get about like you're wasting time is this productive like are you you know I don't know exactly where I mean I'm sure we could track it back to 6,000 things but you know is it efficient does it make sense are you good at it you know it's like we study piano. We're taught, like, how early to be like, well, you're studying piano so that it will look good on your, you know, essays for college. And it's like, really? Like, nobody's just studying the piano because they like the piano, the way it sounds? I mean, it's almost like I feel like that gets beaten out of us so early and unnecessarily. It's almost like people don't trust that kids will just want to play the piano because some of them like the way the piano sounds or, you know, are intrigued by, so I feel like we're sort of like beaten out of that before we're really given a chance to to kind of follow and find our own interests in some ways. Um, I don't know. That was like a tangent, but no. But it's very I, I think that's strange. Is I think
0: extraordinarily important. Just because I've done a, I've done a little bit of research around play, and do you know the work of Dr. Stuart Brown, play researcher? Not, I might know it if I heard it. I'm one of those people that never knows who sang a song, but I know all the lyrics. So I might know it if I heard it, but I don't know the name. Okay, perfect. Because that'll give me a chance to talk about it. Because I, I think this is, it's so important what he found. But he was the one who was called in after the, the first kind of like mass murder. The one, the guy who went up to the top of the tech, University of Texas tower and shot the students. And yeah. he, he was the psychologist who was sent to like research, like why this guy had done this. And he found that the only thing he could really find that was weird in this guy's history was that he had a really restricted play history. Like his, his father oh. wouldn't let him and his family play. And then he started to go on and study all these different murderers and found that one thing a lot of mass murderers had in common was that they didn't have a play history or they were restricted in some way. And so he's uh, come to it. really... How interesting. Uh, it's so interesting, yeah. And it's, so he really says the opposite of play is violence it's not work it's actually violence and that this is something that we need in order to not be violent and just looking around at our world right now I'm like more than ever yeah we really need what we're talking about here
1: I think that's I mean I've never read that research I've been reading a lot but it completely makes sense I mean I have to think more about play and violence Um, but I'm you know when you read all this stuff about I think it's the schools in Sweden you know and they're finding out that kids function better when they're not actually put into institutional schools until they're like seven or eight. Um, and, you know, that uh, there's all this research on the importance of play. And I'm thinking about, I go, I have a one-year-old son, and I go to the pediatrician, and literally I get lists of things I'm supposed to teach him. Like, I, you know, it's just like, and, now, and you have to do your shapes, and the ins and outs, and are you doing the letters, and the animal names, and we have to do the sippy cup, and the, and I just kind of am always like, well, can't he just like, won't he just do this stuff? Like, as he plays around, like, it's so, we are so, like, you, you almost take things that should be fun, and I feel like we make them into work, and they don't need to be. Um, but it's really interesting, and how we, I think, demor- like, not demoralize, that's not the right word, but um, we don't give any value to play, you know? It's like, oh, you're just wasting your time. Why are you doing that? It's so ridiculous. Um, and it's something that impro- I know that other improvisers and that I have certainly had to fight with is this constant sense of like, you know, what am I doing? Like, I'm, you know, a 35-year-old and I'm like gathering in a basement or in someone's house to like play, you know, sound and in- sound motion. Like, what am I doing with my life? And this constant sense of like, when am I going to outgrow this? Um, and I'm like, why would we ever, out- like, who would outgrow joy? I mean, it doesn't make sense. But we all have this nagging sense of like, oh, this isn't, you know, I should really be doing, I should be applying myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And work really, really, really hard so someday I can maybe experience
1: joy. Yeah, yeah, because maybe someday down the line, like all the money that I will get or the awards or whatever, and I I think if anything, improv has given me the contrast between like improv and the work before, you know, that I had or improv and, like, you know, just kind of drudgery. It's, like, seeing that contrast, it's kind of like, I'll take the joy in the moment. Like, because I now can compare that to, like, paychecks or, you know, times that I got awards. And it's, like, no, it doesn't feel as good, does not feel as good as playing these ridiculous games. Like, um, but I think if you haven't experienced that, you don't know it, and you're just kind of waiting. Like, oh, one day my life will be fun. Um, yeah. But, and I think um. we forget... Like, I think before, if you're not having fun in your life, I think we almost forget it's a
0: thing to want. Yeah, a thing to want. And then something that you, it, it's, a, it's like a choice in every moment. That Yeah. It's like, you can, you can be waiting in line, and I feel this all the time. It's like, I can be waiting in line at Target and like, in a horrible mood and on my phone and frustrated. Or I can be making eye contact and like making up stories about the people around me and not taking myself so seriously. And it's it's a complete choice I get to make in every single moment, even though I forget yeah. it all the time. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all do. I still do. But it
1: does. And I do think that's something that improv has helped me with is kind of more and more just there's so many like weird games you can just invent with like a kid in the line with you or, you know, with your whoever you're in line with or like, you know, and it's not that I'm doing this all the time. But I think it does expand your sense of like, oh, we can play now. We can just make this fun. You know, why not? We're just – this is – you don't need anything to improvise on stage. We don't need it in the middle of Target either. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's
0: true. You know, it's, it's true. Like, yeah. All you need is some so. willingness for it. Um, yeah. But what, okay, so what I think is so cool about your story, though, is that, like – so you you go and you embrace playing courage and just, like, okay, I can do this. And But then you, it's actually kind of taking you in some, like – extraordinary directions like do you look at your life now are you kind of amazed by where stepping into more play and exploration
1: has taken you oh yeah I mean I wouldn't I'm pretty sure that I I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be married right now if it weren't for improv and not I mean I met my husband through improv um but not just because of that but because I remember I was like a very difficult you know single woman and I didn't like to give men chances I think I'd been hurt so much that I was just like, I cannot. And so I found all these reasons to, you know, reject men or to not, like, you know, take offers, as we would say in improv. And I remember when my husband asked me out, he was, I was coaching his troop at the time. So part of it was, like, role modeling. But I was like, well, I can't say no. Like, I've been telling these people <laughs> to say yes. So what am I going to do? And we had, he asked me out in this very improv way. You know, but I think literally had I not been thinking like, well, God, I have to say yes. I mean, you know, and um, I'm not sure that I would have gone. And he he knows this. Um, And it is this really funny story now. You know, he's always, he's like, yeah, I had to really break down a lot of your defenses. Um, But I don't think that it, you know, if I hadn't had that why not training in my life and been kind of really working on saying yes to things and letting things in and letting things be good, um, I don't know. I think I probably would have found a reason to say no to him. And I would have missed, like, this wonderful life partner. I would have missed having a son. I mean, I, my whole life was just so much smaller then. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's kind of shocking to think about. Um, and then it's also, you know, professionally, it's also had a huge impact. Um, you know, it's also interrelated. But, yeah, it's completely changed the direction of my life totally.
0: Wow. It's, it's super inspiring Yeah. To consider that we could all do that. Just start saying, because I think that's what you're, what you're touching on is like that we all have so many defenses out of, I, I, I completely as a single woman who's been hurt before, I have so many defenses. Yeah. Like I start to get slight indication that this person might not be completely perfect and treat me wonderfully forever. I'm like, I'm fine on my own, but it's, It's defenses. It really is. So um, I'm inspired by by your story. No, I've been thinking about it
1: actually a lot, in application to dating. Um, And I won't discredit the therapy that I've had either because I think both have kind of worked in tangent. You know, I think there's like the spirit of wanting to say, how could you, you know, what's going on? But yeah, it's amazing, I think, how much we can miss um just out of fear I had a lot of fear um and improv is the opposite of fear so it kind of just works past that but I will say I mean it took you know a good 10 years
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah well those I mean there's stuff wires in our brain in some pretty intense ways so we have to unwire Mm -hmm. it which can take a while can you talk yeah. a little bit more about your relationship with fear while doing improv? Because I think that's what people think. Like, I, I could never do improv because I'm too scared. And so, like, how do, you, how do you experience fear and how do you use the fear and how have you worked through the fear in improv?
1: Um, that's a good question. And I, I do not have, like, in some ways, I think there are different types. I, I should think about this more. I think there are different types of fear In improv, you know, there are some people that have, like, kind of stage fright slash performance anxiety, and they're fine until there's an audience. You know, some people are terrified the minute that they walk into an improv classroom. Like, you know, I'm going to be the one that isn't funny. I'm not going to be able to play the game. You know, they have the more kind of the fear that happens within the group. You know, I'm going to look stupid, and I'm not going to be able to hold my own. Um... And I never really – I definitely never really had the performance piece. I had that as a child, um, but I worked through it in in high school through debate. Um, So I definitely didn't have the performance piece. I think I had and still have more – my fear is more probably I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to mess up other people's fun. Um, so I didn't really have a ton of fear in probably level one. It wasn't until you start getting into kind of like, there's sort of a way to do improv. There are rules. There's like structures. And my fear now kicks in when I'm performing with people that are you know performing a lot more often me, than me. They're quote-unquote better. Um, they're quote-unquote funnier. They're more, you know, they make kind of stable choices. They're, and, and so when I get out on stage with them, that's when I will tend to have a lot of fear in terms of, like, I'm, I'm going to screw this up. Like, I'm going to, like, and everybody's going to know that it's me. So I guess it's that group anxiety. It's me that's not holding my own um, kind of thing, I guess, is where mine is now. Um, but, you know, I know that when I started improvising, I would only play angry women characters that for, like, three years. And my teachers were like, could you please make another choice? And I think I was afraid. I don't even know if I could tap into like a happy, joyful character. Um, So I think there's also fear that I've come into contact with just in terms of like, what's my comfort zone with emotion? Like which, which emotions do I have trouble breathing into? Which ones feel funny to me? Which kinds of movement feel funny to me? Um, I still have a lot of trouble with, like, sexual and, like, kind of seductive, provocative stuff on stage. Some people are, like, super confident with that. And I'm like, oh, how do you do that? Like, I would love to have that much ease. And that just freezes me up. Like, I don't know what to do. Um, So that's another area. So it's more with me. Like, there are pockets of, like, characters that I'll try to be in and I'll be afraid. um, As opposed to, like, kind of audience Anxiety. I never really had that. I'm not a huge ham, but I was just kind of like, oh, it's fine, whatever. Um, so I think there's all kinds of just different anxieties we have that you get in touch with. Um, and my fear has changed. I think probably through the years. Um, so yeah, if that does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, yeah. And what I well, I hear there's like a it's really a, a laboratory to maybe play with some of this stuff. And oh yeah. It, it's how I – I think of yoga a lot is that like the way like you're on your yoga mat and you're there, but there's a dialogue running through your head, which is just like that person's breathing is really annoying me or I look horrible in my yoga shirt or my poses aren't as good as everybody else's or like, you know, it's just like we have like, we can look at the way that we're relating to that one practice is the way that we're probably relating to like 95% of our lives outside of that room but it's just this place where we can really focus in on ourselves and, our, and what's going on. So, and, it, and it actually becomes the place where you can work on it. So it's like, okay, if you're super aggressive towards yourself, then on the yoga mat you can work on being more compassionate and being a little gentler and kinder. Or if you're annoyed by everybody, work on sending out that compassion to other people. So I see that like improv could be a place that whatever the, our, our blocks are as human beings, and we all have them, um, that we actually have a place that we can work through some of that stuff. Um, from, from yeah, your experience, absolutely. do you feel like you've been able to, like, work through some of your own blocks? It sounds like it, but does that feel true to you?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, I know, yeah, I mean, there's still, I'm still struggling with kind of the, the seductive, like, you know, kind of more romantic-y, sweet character thing um, is still a challenge. But, you know, I don't play the angry women all the time. Um, I don't know that I do that much at all anymore. Um And I've certainly, I mean, I remember, like, my first, I mean, I was, yeah, I mean, I've definitely worked through, like, not being able to handle the idea of having a bad show. And it was, you know, and constantly in the very beginning being like, oh, that was a bad audience. That was just a bad audience. (laughs) And now, like, I'm just, you know, I could be like, yeah, that was not my best work. That was not our best. You know, that's okay. Like, so I think developmentally, there's that piece, too, where it's sort of like, you know, I'm okay. I'm comfortable in my own skin. I don't have to succeed all the time. Um, sometimes I will find a show tremendously fun, and the audience will not. And I, like it's no, I've noticed that it doesn't feel good. Like when the audience loves the show and I didn't, it's like okay, that didn't fix that for me. Even I don't know why you were laughing so hard. It wasn't fun for me. Um, so I think certainly working through a lot of like, what are other people expecting of me? Am I pleasing them? I don't care. I just want this to be fun for me. You know that kind of. I want to be pleasing the people I'm on stage with and not the audience or, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think I've worked through a lot of those pieces. I, I had a lot of frustration at other players. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're not, you know, bringing what I need. They're, you know, and all of, and I, I haven't noticed any of that. I don't know how long. Um, but I definitely, as a young improviser, could identify ways. I was certainly a jerk um, or, you know, a pain that I think are are not there. I'm not even aware of those things anymore.
0: Mm. Well something that came forward a lot when when we were doing art class, I think our class was really special because we had uh, how, were there six of us, eight of us? I'm seven. in number right now. You guys were I think seven. you guys were seven seven women and we were just from the moment we all met I think we just like kind of synced up with one yes. another and so our conversations could just get pretty deep with each other but some a theme we noticed is that we the the thing that made the scenes work was with we just really made ourselves happy on stage of just like okay yes. well I've already gone three times but I just want to say this thing and like if and I, I, I recognize that that was hard for me because I think I am so kind of adaptable to what other people want um which is a nice way of saying people-pleasing yeah, so yeah, absolutely. I saw that that was actually hurting the scenes when I would try to think about, well, is it equal? Is it fair? Is everyone getting a voice? Rather than just to be like, no, 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 I have this funny idea. I'm going to go with it right now. And, right. and it kind of proves this philosophy that I, I I really do believe it's hard to practice sometimes that what's good for me is good for everybody. So that if if we all just take care of ourselves and do the thing that feels like most joyful or fun to us in the moment that it actually creates a good environment for everyone around us, so yeah. but I, I, I sense that's really an edge for – I don't want to gender it too much, but I think women kind of maybe struggle with this a little bit more than men. D- is, do you observe that at all in any of your work? Um, prob- the gender part? Probably. Well, I Well, mean, maybe, maybe not that, if,
1: if, if I, it feels true. I mean, I, yeah, I definitely – no, I think what you're describing is very true. I guess I feel like the more students I teach, the less I see it as gendered, Um, you know, I see men that also struggle with, like, I'm entitled to take up space, you know, or, like, I have to be polite and, you know, ladies first kind of thing. I think we're all socialized in such kind of damaging, unhelpful ways that, you know, we all get socialized basically in this way that is like, do not be authentic. Like, you know, just there is a rule. Apply the rule each time. And whatever you do, don't do what you want kind of thing. And we're all, you know, men, women, we're all kind of Um, taught that in different ways. But I think that what you're describing is probably one of the most powerful lessons of improv. And um, Stephanie Anderson said it really well. She came and taught a faculty workshop, and she was just kind of saying how she'll say to people, like, you do you. Like, you know, just do you. If you want to go out there, go out there. Um, And I think it's so rare, if you're with a bunch of people that are careful or, you know, people pleasing or being afraid of, you know, are you, are you okay? Are you okay? Um, then everybody's paralyzed. And I think that's, I know that I've had that issue in my life of, you know, can I trust the people around me to tell me what they need? Can I trust you to tell you, to tell me if I'm annoying you before I get like really annoying and you want to break up with me or leave or, you know, whatever? Um and I think all of that inauthenticity kind of trains us into this kind of paralyzed fear of like, let's just do nothing because then no one will be upset and we'll just all take turns and it'll feel flat and kind of vanilla, but every, it'll be fair. Um, and I think improv is so good about teaching, like, you know, everybody can, is responsible for themselves. You know, everybody, even if some, one person maybe had three words that they got out, that may have been enough for them in that show. And we can trust that. Um, and so I think there's so much to that, that idea of, like, how much can I give? How much can I take? Um, because we seem to assume all the time that, like, taking is bad, giving is good. And it's, like, that's not always true, you know, depending on where someone is or what they need. Um, and I think that's all just comes back to that idea of being in the moment and kind of just trusting your instincts, trusting what you want, and trusting that other people can hold that for you.
0: Big. It sounds simple, it sounds simple, and I, but it's, it's really, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's big so think, hard. for all of us. It's so hard. Yeah, and we it's, need places it's to life's work. Practice it. it yeah, it's life's I'm work. I'm practicing yeah. it. <laughs> well, how does it work with your clients? Like how much of, like in terms of your, your social work practice, like how many of these ideas do you feel like you bring in and, and which ones feel most effective in being able to help people make progress in their more therapy World. I
1: think a, a lot I mean i'm starting to bring it in more overtly with like with improv games and kind of um, you know expressly saying like let's do some improv right now um, and see how that goes, but I think too, I have used it very subtly, you know I have clients who probably would have no idea that I was applying an improv thing, but I might have literally actually thought of like a character that I was in a scene with or an improv principle, and I think probably the one that I probably use the most um, is, is the yes and, you know, sometimes some of the relational stuff, but the yes and is so, it's not even the yes, it's the and. Well, yes, it is the yes, because we are so often taught to deny our emotions and our experience, and we are also taught that our emotions are simple, that like, you know, if someone dies, you are sad, um, And I think Sharon Salzberg, you know, the meditation teacher, she has been so helpful in helping me, you know, see emotion as strands. You know, there are different experiences. You might be relieved when somebody dies. You know, you might feel sad, but you might also have, like, really happy memories of them. You know, there's all kinds of things wrapped into grief, you know, as one example. And so helping clients see, like, yes, you are angry, you know, and you love this person. Like, what's that like? That's a hard place to be, isn't it? Um, And so just kind of, like, helping people build and see complexity. I think a lot of us, you know, we want to make life simple, and we've been taught to make life simple by, you know, parents, society, and it's not, and we don't feel things in a simple way. And so I spend a lot of time first trying to get, help people say yes, like, this is my experience. And then say, and, like, you know, it's part of your experience. What else? Oh, yeah, and this, and that. Um, and I think that helps us have deeper relationships because it's like, yes, I, I want to kill my husband. I'm also crazy about him. And I feel grateful to him, you know, and, 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 and. Um, and so I think that part is probably the one that I'm bringing in a lot, you know, but I'm not saying, like, I'm going to teach you an improv rule now, um, but just thinking
0: that way is helpful. It's it's nuanced. It, it, there's yeah. like layers to it. Yeah. There <laughs> there definitely can be, especially when you get into the relationship part. And I I mean I think that to me is the most healing way of thinking is to just embrace a lot of complexity and nuance because we're humans and we emotions are really complex and. Um, I think when we had breakfast last week, I think I was sharing a little bit with you around some of the polarity work that I do with the um, the integral theory that I'm I'm super into Mm -hmm. these days. But it's like, if you have a really strong emotion of, you know, hate towards someone, chances are you probably love them too. It's like for you to go so deeply into an emotion, there's a whole other side of it. And and if you're suffering over the emotion, it's like chances are you probably are not looking at the other side of it. Right. and like, and there's it's something so for me. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm like, it's like not even like I have to. I mean, I think grief is a really good one here. That like, when my father passed away, it was like him and I. We had not had a good relationship in our lives, and it his his illness had taken a lot out of me and and my family. And and there was there was like a relief, and like him yeah. died. There was there was there, and I started to feel really guilty about that relief. Right was there, because I was like, well, I'm grieving, but I'm also relieved, and then and then I realized, oh, it's just part of the polarity that there's like a grief and there's a relief, and like yes, yeah. and, and and once I realized that, that like okay, there's both, that that it actually kind of helped to set me free, and I was like, okay, well, there's just you know that it, we're not just super simple creatures, and um, but I think we're taught that like just to kind of keep our emotions in these very tidy little boxes, so right,
1: or, or that it's wrong. Like the guilt, I mean, I feel like 90% of what, you know, I struggled with and what my patients struggle with is, is often what you're describing, that guilt for feeling something that you're not, you know, supposed to feel. And I feel like the key or the beginning of self-compassion is, you know, realizing like, no, it's, this is part, of, you know, you can feel this. I mean, I think one of the main ones is, you know, I, I always think of like weddings and when people have babies. And, you know, people are often shocked in therapy, you know, when it's kind of like, so what do you not like about being a new mother? What do you not like? You know, what are you freaking out about, about getting married? And it's like, oh, no, I can't acknowledge that. And it's like, no, you probably should, because otherwise. And it's like, oh, that's okay. Like, I'm allowed to, like, not like part of this wonderful, magical, romanticized, you know. And people have walked away from relationships because they think, oh, I, you know, I thought 10% of it was bad. And it's like, well, of course you did. Like, nothing is perfect, but we are somehow sensitized to think, like, well, everything's supposed to be perfect, um, and it's not, ever, and so I think, an improv is such a great, you know, it's kind of like, bring your mistakes, bring your dark side, bring, you know, all the screw-ups, and we'll just see what we can make of it, and I feel like that's, you know, so much of what people struggle with, is it's like, I feel this thing, and I'm not supposed to feel it, and it's like, well, what if we just said yes? Like, why
0: not? And I'm thinking of, like, a really amazing just, like, complaining ride character up there. And I'm like, oh, that would just be so funny. Like, because yeah. like, I think so much of what's funny is, like, saying the things that we're not allowed to say. Like, fan comedians are funny because they say all the stuff that runs through our heads that we don't feel like we're allowed to say.
1: Yeah, that we're all like, oh, I could never say that. Yeah. I mean, that's why you totally don't like
0: yes game so much because that's half of it
1: is, like, you're just allowed to rant. And the other person has to be like, Yep, yep, yep. And you know, sometimes people get into part of their rant and they're like, I can't sing this and it's like, Yeah, you can. Go ahead. Like, sure, why not? Yeah. It's in there. Um, but that's the dark side. If we're gonna improvise, we have to be open to that. And I think that's part of what's so healing and powerful about it, is that it allows us to acknowledge, like, oh, there's this side of me that I don't that isn't the greatest and I can put that out there and it's okay. Like nobody dies. Every, you know, it's all right. Somebody else may even know how to deal with it, um, you know, as opposed to this kind of perfect side that we tend to be able to put out when we're scripted or, you know, kind of being in a, in a more polished place.
0: Mhm. Yeah, and it'd be so nice if that polish just could, like, last forever, but, I mean, what I've realized about myself is, like, I can polish it better than anyone else. Like, I can make it look so good, but, but it always leaves me lonely, you know, that, like, if I'm so polished, there's no space for, like, relational.
1: Yeah, well, no one can like, touch you. Because mm-hmm. you don't want anyone to mess up the polish, so you don't want anyone to touch you. You don't want to, you know, mess up any. It's You know, it is totally lonely. Um, and I think
0: that's our struggle for most of us. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm it was something for me, too. I like to be very good at things. This is, like... Yeah. Ayurvedically speaking, this is the pitta, this is the fire element we want to win. And I grew up in a family of winners and I was, you know, very, and then then it was like getting in there and realizing, oh God, I can't be good or bad at this. And just really like that I I could, it was just a practice. Same way for I had to make that piece about yoga, that it wasn't about me going and having awesome yoga poses on the mat. Like it was just a a willingness to keep showing up a few times a week or every day and so that's that's how I'm starting to view improv. I, I signed up for your level two. I'm really excited to do it. So oh, awesome, <laughs> awesome. And
1: it, but, it's so funny that you mentioned the yoga connection because one of my um, teachers and coaches, Michael Johnson, used to say about the we have the competitive um, improv tournament, which is super fun. But he was always kind of like, competitive improv is kind of like competitive yoga, like you know, it's kind of ridiculous. You can't compete at either of those things, which is, you know, sort of true with what you're saying. Like, you can't win. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, you win if you're having, if it's working, you know. Like, for for yoga, I'm like, well, are you enjoying your life more? Feeling right. better in your body, handling your emotions better? Yeah, the yoga's working. That's that's the winning. And if, I think for improv, for me, it's like, like, I remember, what, like, riding my bike home after the first improv class, and that was like, I was so present and I was like hearing things and seeing. You said things that I remember like, that, yeah. And I was like, Oh well this is the winning is that like I'm right. my eyes are open to life and I'm not just stuck in that loop in my head for a little while. That's that's awesome.
1: Yeah, screw whether or not your scene was great or not. Like you didn't care at that point. You're like I can see the world. That's the winning.
0: Total win. Uh-huh. Yeah, Lisa, this has been so great. Um, I I would love thank for... you. This was so fun. Yeah, it's it's good. It was just sort of improv, right? Just sort of seeing what yeah. Happens. It was totally improvised. <laughs> um, well, can you tell folks how they can stay in touch with you if they wanted to like work with you or take one of your classes or something like that?
1: Yeah, probably the easiest way is my website, um, which is Lisa L I S A K A Y S dot com. Um, and on there is my, they can find my email address, um, and if anybody's interested in the classes that I teach, um, through Washington Improv Theater, I can send them information about that as well, or that's also on the web separately, um, but I can direct anyone to any info that they would want.
0: That's great, that's great, and you, you still have space as of right now in your level one for helpers, that's on, it's on Mondays, right? Yes, Level 1 for
1: Helpers is going to be on Mondays at 10.30, starting in mid-September.
0: So if, if if you're listening to this podcast in a timely manner and you live in Washington, D.C., I highly recommend taking that class and just staying in touch oh, with thank Lisa. You. Yeah, you and I are both writing books at the same time, too. So yes. we'll be um, <laughs> seeing a book from Lisa coming out sometime in, in the near future.
1: Yeah, I hope so. I think yours will be done faster. Um, but, yeah, but I'm I'm plugging along.
0: Wonderful. Okay, well, thank you so much. And thank, thank you so listening. much. Yeah, it's it's been a real pleasure. And and just something, you know, that we can all take away is that we do, that play is not something that we're good at. It's a skill we have to practice. We can do it in line at Target. We can do it on our yoga mat. And, and just that, like, our our ability to, like, start to – embrace a little complexity, saying yes, and and just opening to, like, opportunities that are presented. And um, I'm saying this out loud to you all, but these are reminders I need all the time, too. That just, like, it's something that we can really start to build in as a value um, if we take time to practice it. So thanks for listening, everybody. Keep taking care Absolutely. of yourselves. And I will talk to you soon. Bye, Lisa. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome.